0: This podcast is presented by Rabbi Parrots mutchkin speaking to the millennial generation. Hello, welcome to the Rabbi Parrots podcast. There are things in this world that require knowledge, but sometimes that knowledge is not just for the brain to rationalize what's happening. It is also for the heart to be able to create a pathway forward to understanding its own intuition and the subliminal messages that it feels and receives. So much of Jewish history is told in a way that is trying to be rational, connecting to the domino effect of one thing to the next thing. But there is a sense of wonder and a sense of music and a sense of feeling that is threaded throughout Jewish history that requires a bit of feelings and a bit of intuition to understand and to connect to. In this week's Torah portion, we talk for the first time at length about Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah are the matriarch and patriarch of the Jewish people. It is their journey that has come to not only begin the Jewish journey, but it is their journey that really encapsulates the feeling of our Jewish human experience that we go through. It also happens to be that we're in a time where the generation that I'm a part of, the millennial generation, and some of those older than me and definitely many younger, are feeling in America for the first time deep anti-Semitism coming from celebrities, specifically in the last week from Kanye West. And it's hard to understand why would people who have gifts and talents rationalize the challenges of the world and put it on Jewish people? Because if you use your rational mind, it should, not, it should not be deduced that it's the Jewish people that caused your trouble. But at the same time, you see Jewish people kind of in a lot of successful positions here in America. And if you look in the entertainment industry which captures the imagination of many people, the Jewish people are very prominent and have done very well. So on some level, on a rational level, it could seem like the challenges that someone like Kanye perceives in this world is due to the overwhelming representation of Jewish people, the engineers, doctors, lawyers, these, quote, backroom celebrities seem to be in more control than the front propagators of talent. So it makes it very weird for secular Jewish people, and 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 by secular I mean people who aren't insulated by the love and comfort of Jewish tradition, they start feeling that sense of like, what does it mean to be a Jew? And when that happens, they start defining themselves unwittingly, subliminally, by these anti-Semitic experiences. To explain, there's this real challenge that somebody who doesn't have the love and nurture of Judaism and the community that they face, when are they faced with their own identity? When do they have to confront their Judaism? When I was 21, I was traveling in North Florida, and we were a little outside the town St. Augustine, a little more of a small town type of neighborhood, and we were knocking on doors to take a census of the Jewish community to see if it could support a new Chabad institution. And when we knocked on one of the doors, someone came to the door. They were wearing just boxers. And the guy was like, Can I help you? I was like, Are you Jewish? He's like, Yeah. I was like, Well, we're we're trying to take a census of the Jewish community. And he sort of like stood there in shock and he's like, Well, what do you want to know? So, well, for starters, what's Jewish life like here in this area? And he says, well, Jewish life is non-existent, um, so I don't really have an answer for you. I said, oh, well, do you ever feel like a Jew? Do you ever have a reminder of your Judaism? Do you have any Judaism in your life? And he said, actually, every year somebody puts during the holiday season on my desk spam. I still don't know who it is at my office, but it's been going on for several years. And when they do that, when they put the spam on my desk, I remember that I'm Jewish. And I said, like, by the way, what are you doing home today? You say you have a job, you're at an office. He's like, well, actually yesterday my house was hit by lightning. That's why I'm just wearing my boxers. It's really hot in here. And I'm waiting for the insurance adjusters to come and check it out so I can get it repaired and deal with it. And sure enough, he brought us into his house and there was a rip through the ceiling uh, made by lightning. I was like, are you telling me that it took lightning hitting your house? for this meeting to happen so that you could have an experience of Jews caring for one another and you could have a moment with your identity that doesn't include spam and anti-Semitic rhetoric, was just this incredible moment. We ended up, the end of the story is we ended up introducing him to a local rabbi who had a summer camp and his daughter was able to go to a Jewish camp for the first time. But the point of the story is, is that I've always felt since then that there are many who derive their Jewish identity from anti-Semitism or from anti-Semitic experiences. It's like when somebody, because they're bullied, starts defining themselves by what the bully has done to them. Now, the truth is, it's okay, because sometimes we learn things from even negativity that happens to us. And that is no small, you know, feat to really take the challenges and difficulties that you face and turn them into messages that are able to inspire you. But nevertheless... (laughs) Deep, deep within our soul, we know that it is positive experiences and optimistic experiences that truly inform us of what we're capable of, truly open our heart to deeper and more available ways to impact the world. Although we have to, response to, to respond to negativity and we have to respond to different challenges, nevertheless, it's so important to have a positive foundation. It's like a child optimally is born... And has parents who love them and are holding them and nurturing them. And it's not that you're pacifying the child. It's that you're inspiring them through love and nurture. That they can always recede to this positive space and find their equilibrium and calm their nerves. And not always react with their animalistic tendencies and react constantly with the smaller primitive parts of the brain. But to be able to go beyond beyond the reptilian self, and go into a deeper space. And it is there that we create new neural pathways and open up new individualistic machinations that allow us to truly, unbelievably succeed at life. Now, there's this legendary connection between this idea and how the Jewish people have affected the world. One example is, one of the great people who've mentioned this this idea of dealing with your challenges is the is Marcus Aurelius when you look at uh, his background as a leader of Rome as as a Caesar as somebody who had great conquest and the ability to basically do anything they want and almost like a deity type of space it's fascinating that in the Talmud they seem to connect Rebbe Yehuda, who was called Judah the prince who authored the Mishnah the first great works of the sages post the temple's destruction as having a relationship with Marcus Aurelius. Although there are those some who suspect that it it was a challenging thing to have that relationship, nevertheless, I love the imagination of Reb Yehuda and Marcus Aurelius having this relationship because when you see Marcus Aurelius's ideas, one of them being obstacles are the way forward, that your challenges and obstacles are the way we move forward and understand how to deal with life. It seems that that sounds like something that he would find a kindred spirit in Judah the prince, who was dealing with tremendous obstacles of how to move Judaism forward in the face of the destruction of the temple, in the face of prolonged exile, in new lands. So there were so many huge challenges for Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, or Judah the prince to consider. So to have a kindred spirit, like a Marcus Aurelius, a philosopher, a leader— to compare notes, it really sounds like legendary um, positivity, a legendary you know, exchange of philosophies using Judaism and Stoicism to be able to understand and deepen a sense of self and to find a part of self that is truly inspirational to share with others and to affect our world is truly the stuff of legend of, of these two leaders. So I definitely love my imagination going to them. But the idea that they must have shared, or this idea of Marcus Aurelius, the obstacles are the way forward, this idea is personified by Abraham and Sarah, the first matriarch and patriarch, which were living in the land of Or. And Or was considered at the time the modern society. And the idea being that people would stay in a modern society. And they would move only if there were more ingenuity and modern opportunities, like movement was in order to get to new pastures, to move to fresher opportunities. So the idea that Abraham and Sarah, living in the pinnacle of their society, receive a subliminal message that the divine spirit within them will not be fully found without taking a change, leaving their families, leaving the society, and going back to their roots, going back to a sense of, what is this human experience? Lech Lecha, to really recede within themselves beyond their immediate parents and ancestors, but to go to a pure individualistic sense of self, must have been terrifying, but definitely, in hindsight, it's how we define what they were able to accomplish and how we were able to be here today. And every time we think of challenges or difficulties, we can think back to these ancestors who used their challenges and obstacles as a guiding light to the opportunities that they were going to have in their life, or to the individualistic sense of self that they could find within opportunities and challenges. And this is really this incredible sense that although some cultures believe that we have a sense of darkness within us... In Jewish tradition, because we were created through an act of lovemaking, that makes us an act of lovemaking. And even those who are suspect of where they come from and what was in their background, nevertheless, since the world was created with a sense of lovemaking and a sense of, of connection to lovemaking, what that means is, is that when God created the world from something to nothing, The first thought was not, okay, I need to create a space for the world to exist. That's the function of creation. The first thought is, I want a relationship. I want to connect. I want to be a part of something besides myself. So in order for God to do that, God has to go to the pinnacle sense of infinity, being that what is infinite and is unbelievably non-definable only wants some connection to being defined and being connected in a limited space because that's where you receive something that you can't get otherwise and that is the pleasure of acknowledging others while being acknowledged the perfect symbiotic balanced connection of the healthiest type of relationship and since that is the earliest thought of creation this act of love and connection it it's part of every act of creation every time We try to create something. It comes through this sense of joy and this sense of love. Although the challenges will come, but because we began with a sense of love, we can go out there and confidently deal with our difficulties. Very similar to a child being born, the more love and the more confidence is instilled in their childhood and the more tools they are given, the more as they grow up and go out to the world they have resources to pull from that they're able to go out there and connect to that. Abraham and Sarah saw that the world was a place where this was not becoming the case. Survival of the fittest had retaken over as the most dominant force of culture. Those who were strong dominated those who were weak. And for Abraham, he had to go past his parents, past his lineage, past his seminal beginning to go to a place of the seminal beginning of everything, of what's the point of it all, how to connect to that. And when he found that it was all through a sense of love and connection— that became the most dominant feature of his existence. Abraham and Sarah defined themselves by kindness, by being able to share any of their resources, and defined themselves by being able to see obstacles, and they had many, but those obstacles were merely there to push them in the direction them, nudge them to new and deeper reservoirs of being able to leave their perceived self and go even deeper to this act of chesed and kindness and be able to live their life that way. So it is no surprise that when you see Marcus Aurelius saying obstacles are the way forward, that perhaps this has something to do with the connection of him and Reb Judah the prince thinking about how all the obstacles that we face are there to help us navigate the individual challenges and obstacles that we face while we're trying to create and bring something new in the world. This brings me to another idea, which is because it's love making and because it's kindness, we need to discuss a little bit how these feelings work. And therefore, I'm going to bring for that a couple of stories and ideas that I think illustrate this. Because to really understand difficulties, it sometimes helps to have the story involved, and the story warms the heart and helps us see it that way. I grew up hearing tremendous stories. From the older generations. It was as if the way they were transmitting to me, what they dealt with in the shtetl and pogroms, and then after that, with the Holocaust, World War II, Russia, all having to start their lives all over again in a new land, all really was transmitted through these stories. One of the stories that uh, stick with me is based on a verse. In, uh, when it comes to the Jewish people, we have these holidays, that used to be festivals where we'd all get together. Today, we have them in miniature in communities. People have uh, connections and and collaborations. And in synagogues, they have festivals and ceremonies. So we still have a taste of what it meant to get together. Now, the highest point of Jewish culture—it's really a long time since it's been that way. We attribute the highest point of Jewish culture to the time of King Solomon, See the time of King David, things were very difficult. They were still at war, and they were still settling, and they were still creating uh, culture. But the time of Shlomo, it says that King Solomon, it was a time of peace. And the line that is used to discuss it is that each person had full uh, abundance in their life and was able to share that abundance with whoever came through their lands. And the Jewish people were a site of inspiration and a site of knowledge. And it says that Solomon, King Solomon, shared that knowledge with anyone who came to seek it. He was there to not just make the Jewish world great, but to make the world at large a wonderful place. So it says that they would all come to King Solomon for the holiday to hear his wisdom. And people from all over the world would come. But on the eighth day, after the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, King Solomon would send them on their way. And they would bless the king, and they went to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that God had done for David his service and for Israel as people. The words that they would use going back to their tents with all joy and prosperity was seeing how David's challenges manifested in a time of peace in his son, King Solomon. The part that sticks out over here is the Jews going back to their tents, because in the time of King Solomon, Tents were not really the main way to live. Tents were a temporary structure by which to live. Main structures were like the temple. They were homes. They created places to grow their own vineyards and to grow their own uh, date palms, and they were agriculturally capable of creating an environment of self-sufficiency. So tents is not really the nomadic style that the Jewish people were living. They were living a very much an inhabitant style, settled in the land, showcasing a great culture, the beginning of our culture today, you, you might say. So what does it mean going back to their tents? The second Chabad Rebbe, Rebbe Yosef Yitzchak, wrote extensively not only on spirituality and mysticism and philosophy, but also stories of his childhood that he brought with him from before the times of war. And one of the stories that he mentions is that there once was the great mystic who started it all for this mystical journey known as Hasidic Jews called the Baal Shem Tov. And the Baal Shem Tov was succeeded by someone named the Maggid of Mezrich. Now, what's really remarkable is the Baal Shem Tov already had a tremendous amount of followers and people in his life. And nevertheless, the person who succeeded him was the Maggid of Mezrich. He only met a couple of years before his passing. So it's uh, obscure about that connection and relationship and about what type of influence he had on him and why he was chosen. But one of the seminal stories or original stories that, that connected the Baal Shem Tov to the Magid is that the Baal Shemtov told this simple villager, he said, I want you to go to the town of Mizrich." And I want you to find the famed mystic leader and Kabbalist rabbi, Reb Dov Ber, and tell him that the Balshemtov wants him and wants to meet him. This villager was super excited to do his job. The Balshemtov sending me to do a mission for him, absolutely interested in doing this. Now, the previous Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, when he says the story, he pauses and he says, Who is this villager? That the Baal Shem Tov is sending. So he said there was a time where the second Chabad rabbi, who they called the Mitla Arabi, who's also his name was Ribdov Ber, named after this Magid, Ribdov Ber, he used to give some of the deepest mysticism. His teachings are still considered today the deepest mysticism in the Chabad tradition. One of his great works is called the Tractate on Ecstasy, and the thesis there is that we can birth in our minds such a deep sense of impact that it can open our third eye, our pineal gland, and have a sustainable psychedelic experience. Essentially, a sustainable way of seeing beyond self. In other words, by deeply receding in the knowledge of self through mysticism and understanding how it relates to the giant cosmos, how our... Our small world, a.k.a. our body, is a mirror image of the large world, a.k.a. cosmology. We're able to make this connection between higher worlds and lower worlds. And when we do that, we open up new neural pathways, which create an opening in our center, third eye, pineal glands to create a wider version of reality. And it's sustainable, whereas psychedelics are the temporary effects. This way has many more hours. Or as my father would say, this morning I learned a discourse from this reptile bear, and I was high for hours. <laughs> he, I heard him once yell. So this idea of 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 depth was so prevalent, but there were many Jews who could not understand the mystical depths. But they were drawn so deeply to the teachings. There was once. Uh, villager. He worked in an agricultural settlement. Um, Chabad was very into in those days creating agricultural settlement, settlements and received um, at that time some permission from the czarist uh, uh, leadership to be able to create those. And this gentleman lived there. He did okay on his on his farm and he used to go visit this mitzlarebbe, this bear as often as he could. But the thing was he didn't really understand the mystical depth of of this uh, the mystical depth of the, his teacher but he remembered always he would sit and listen to and remember the verses that were brought up Rebdover would bring up a verse from Torah a verse from Psalms a verse from Proverbs and then he would expand on that mystically now although this gentleman didn't understand any of the mysticism associated with it he definitely understood those basic verses so he would come home and he would come when he would come home He would put on his finest clothing, prepare the finest food that he had, invite the whole township. He would go as far as inviting the neighboring town of Nikolaev. He would invite them all to his place. And in his great, incredible, festive spirit, he would say the verses that he heard from his Rebbe. And although everybody knew he couldn't share the deep mysticism, just feeling that sense of depth and joy to know that this verse was uttered by the mystical master filled him with such light and love, and he could share that light and love with everybody around him, such a sense of inspiration. And the truth is, that in itself as a story reminds us that we can't always share our ideas, but we can share our love for life, which is something so pertinent to this year, which we'll get to in a moment. Going back to our original tale, the Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak says, this type of guy is the villager that the Baal Shem Tov sent to find Rabdov Bear. It's this type of inspired, heart-filled person who seeks the smallest kernel of truth to live with and to be alive with. So when he comes to that town, to the town of Mizrich, and he says, he walks right into the big synagogue and he says, ah, I'd love to meet your rabbi your mystic your teacher the great kabbalist ribdov bear one looks at him and says ribdov bear we don't we don't know any any anybody matching such a description so he goes and he uh, starts asking around finally somebody says you mean Beryl? Beryl, the teacher who teaches the the downtrodden or the or the people who can't afford it eh, he's, he's this guy at the edge of town so he assumes that that must be it who else could it be So he makes his way to the end of town. And sure enough, there's on the foul-smelling block with dilapidated houses, there is a small shackle. And when he looks inside, he sees somebody teaching, young children, and they're all sitting on what seems to be just tree stumps, pieces of wood that they brought into the house. They're all sitting on. When he looks inside, the maggot turns and faces him, Ribdov Bear, and he says, Can I help you? And he can see right away on his face, this must be the guy. And he says, I have a message for you from the Baal Now this Ribdov bear smiled and said, I can't wait to hear it, but I am in the middle of teaching my students. Can you please come back when I'm done teaching? So this gentleman leaves. He's standing on the corner, sort of waiting to see from afar the children leave. Meanwhile, another villager walks by. And says, hey, how you doing? Turns out they know each other. They're both followers of the Baal Shem Tov. And he says, what brings you to town? He says, I'm here to do a message for the Baal Shem Tov. I'm on a mission. He's like, wow, that's incredible. He's like, would you like to come with me on my mission? Sure. So they walk back to the house. And at this point, they see that the students are gone. But Rabdov Ber and his family are using these stumps as putting them together as beds and essentially this is their living quarters and without being able to hold himself in the villager says Bear, i understand that uh, that you're not you're not wealthy neither am i but i have a chair i have a table i have a bed how could you have nothing and Bear smiles and answers him where do you have those things he says what do you mean in my house he says but you're here now do you have them with you now he says no he says, in my home, I too have all those things. And with that, he was transmitting to the villager this message of, this is not my home. This is a temporary stop on the great journey of who I really am. He gave him the message that the Baal Shem Tov wanted to see him, and that began the journey of the Magid connecting to the Baal Shem Tov. We take this story and we connect it to this idea It said that the Jewish people, after they visited the holidays by King Solomon, went back to their tents to say that the inspiration and the positivity and the encouragement and the optimism that they felt when they spent time together and celebrated the holidays and drew wisdom from the great King Solomon and drew from their heritage, from Abraham, who went within himself and his wife, Sarah, who went within herself in order to to bear a new light within a struggling world. And they came back to their homes and saw their homes as tents, as merely temporary dwelling places. And sure enough, we see that deeply within the holiday of Sukkot, the final holiday that they experienced with King Solomon was all about eating and living in a temporary dwelling place, as if to say one of the greatest sources of joy is to realize that it's all temporary. And what that means is, if we could put that into modern terms, is obstacles are the way forward. The way to really understand that there is a responsibility and a calling for us on an individual level is when we see the obstacles to realize that there are other roads that we haven't traveled and other pathways that we need to forge and an individual sense of connection that needs to happen. If you're somebody who's out there trying to do good things for other people, then when you hear someone uh, like famous rappers say anti-Semitic things or you hear people who are supposed to be culturally significant make what are nothing less than irrational, uneducated, biased, hateful speeches— then what we need to do is realize that it's a reminder that this can't be the definition of us, but something new and beautiful needs to happen, and that needs to become the definition of us. Abraham's definition could not be that he came from a terrible place and realized that he needed to be better. Abraham first had to leave the terrible place and start something new, create a new foundation and build on the new nurturing foundation of love and kindness that was going to enable a new journey for the Jewish people. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm activating within myself today and what I'm asking you to activate. The idea that we can create a foundation that is built on positivity and optimism and kindness and compassion is the most important feature for this generation. The sense of abundance is nothing less than what the Jews had under King Solomon. But their view of seeing it as temporary and the only thing real being the legacy they create of goodness and kindness, the foundation of compassion that they create, that's what truly defines who we are. So let's go back to what's happening right now in our life today. What we could do with this feeling, with this sense of changing the world through creating a foundation of kindness, through creating a foundation of of compassion. Abraham started this journey, and every one of us have the ability to draw deep inspiration from the love and kindness of Abraham and Sarah, to be able to do this on our own. Now take a look at the world. Now you can understand Kanye's foundation is built on money and power. And because of that... He sees other people who are taking money and power in greater quantities than he perceives to have himself somehow, and therefore is only angry. But in reality, the reason why Jewish people are in all these specific powerful places is because it's within our abundance to build a new foundation on kindness, to not build our foundation based on anti-Semitism, World War II, Holocaust, and pogroms, but to build a foundation based on success and appreciation and gratitude. After all, the name Jew is gratitude. What we are here for is to not only be grateful, but to use our resources to create a foundation for kindness in the world. Tikkun Olam, or creating a world that sees divine and... Infinity, being in a relationship with finite and mundane, is the most incredible way to say that my limitations are only to show me the direction of my individuality so I can have an authentic relationship with the divine and infinite life. So we are not in these powerful places because we ourselves are amazing. It is because we are in the age to use abundance to create a new foundation for kindness and connection, for philanthropy and for, and for love. So wishing you the most incredible sense of inspiration to give love to be open to creating a foundation based on optimism, and to not let us be defined anymore by anti-Semitism and difficulties and challenges. Wishing you an incredible week, and I look forward to hearing from you. All the best. Feel free to email me at word at rabbiperrits.com. Leave us a rating on Apple. Say hi to me on Instagram at parrots, and I appreciate you tuning in.